Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And today's guest is a woman that I got a chance to meet uh, 11 years ago, almost to the day. And to say she changed the trajectory of my life would be an understatement. Um, And to say that she changed the trajectory of many, many people's lives across the world would also be an understatement. Our guest today, uh, if you know Franklin Covey Education, you have to know Muriel Summers. She's the now retired, after 43 years of being an educator, uh, she's now recently retired um, principal of A.B. Combs Magnet Elementary School and uh, where she created the first leadership elementary magnet in the country. Uh, she's Her school has been on national television from PBS to Good Morning America, The Oprah Winfrey Show. Um, for those of you, again, who read our books, um, A.B. Combs is featured in the Stephen Covey's uh, books, The Eighth Habit and The Leader in Me, and Muriel even co-authored the second Leader in Me book. Um, so it's something else that uh, she I tease her about in today's interview is she now has a day named after her in her hometown. There's Muriel Summers Day, June 10th, 2021, um, which again, if you know Muriel, you know that she does not need nor want the spotlight. She just enjoys doing the work. Today's conversation is awesome. Yes, I go a little bit over her because she did in fact and has in fact changed my life. Um, but we dive into some really fun topics or interesting topics, I would say, in terms of how to find your why, how she found her why to be an educator that's driven her for 43 years. Um, what are ways on those days where you don't feel like going to work or it's just a really tough day? What are those secrets to re-energizing yourself to get back, get your head back in the game and get back to work? Um, advice for how do you create um, positivity in your school or how to keep school success when your school's having real success, how to keep positivity and high trust um, in the building. Uh, I dive in a little bit like what kept her at Combs for 43 years. I mean, that's a, it's a long time. Um, she's been in education. She obviously hasn't been at Combs for all of those, but you know, a lot of folks who have had the success that she's had as a principal, would have gone to the district office or other schools or other jobs. And so um, we dive into to what kept her there. Um, overall, if you've, if you've ever met Muriel, you know it's a deep, rich conversation where you're gonna walk away with wanting to take notes. So get your books, uh, your notebooks out, your moleskins out, or your app that you have in your phone because she definitely needs a lot of wisdom as she always does. It's an awesome conversation. I feel so blessed and fortunate that we have her. Um, enjoy. Oh, also, before you get off uh, on, let me make sure I get the date right. Thursday, August 5th, there's a back to school event with Muriel. And if you want to register for that, go to www.leaderandme.org slash events. Again, it's uh, um, Thursday, August 5th. Um, I'm looking at it mine. Uh, looks like it's at 2 p.m. Central. So figure it out what it is in your time zone. Um, enjoy this conversation. I believe it's something that some of it, if you've heard her speak before, you'll recognize hopefully some of it you've never heard before. It's some insight that you'll enjoy. And again, uh, thank you for listening. We appreciate your continued support of our podcast. Enjoy. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here. As I I mentioned earlier, we met, um, again, I I don't know if, I don't expect you to remember this. You probably remember where you're at that day, but we met August 11th, 2010 and the reason why that was memorable is i still have my notes 11 years later from what you talked about in your keynote i have my notes because i snuck into your breakout which was maxed out but somehow i snuck into 
And then in the midst of several hundred people, you still made time to talk to me when I had some questions about how do I serve the educators I was getting to work with. And so uh, it is so awesome to be sitting here talking to you today in the podcast. Thanks for being here with us. Oh, well, Dustin, the honor is all mine. And, you know, I'm so touched that you remember when we had that conversation. And I certainly do remember our conversations over the years, and they've always been very special to me. So thank you. Thank yeah, you so well, for having me on. I'm going to do my best to, to not go too much today, but I just I feel very blessed that you made time for us. Um, so let's start. What it's a question that we ask everybody, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Well, you know, when you reach the age that I am and, and you're asked a question is the one you just asked me, you know, who I am, I think my most important role is mother, um, grandmother, educator, um, friend, sister. Um, you know, you think about your roles in terms of the relationships that are the most important to you. What I love um, so much about what I have, I feel so blessed to say has been my life's calling is working on behalf of children and educators. And someone asked me as I recently retired um, on June the 30th, you know, why, why are you retiring? And, you know, I said, well, 43 years of your life devoted to one thing. Um, and when I reflect back on those 43 years, there was not one single time that I didn't love driving into a schoolhouse, you know, mm -hmm. driving into a campus. Um, were there hard moments? Absolutely. Were there um, times of discomfort uh, and uncertainty? Yes. But when... I can truly say that I never dreaded one single day. Uh, I was surrounded by precious children, amazing educators. And so for 43 years as a teacher, you know, in the different roles I've played in education, I went to school as an adult. But I've been going to school for 60 years of my 65 because <laughs> I was a student. So I have just loved school. I've loved being in school. And so I, I feel very blessed because I don't know too many people who can say that they loved every day of their career. And I really say that with such sincerity. Um, no matter how difficult the moments, I could always leave my office. And see, I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it. Um, and I could run to children and there would be a child that would hug me and say, I love you, um, and we would, you know, it would make everything okay. So um, my life has been so blessed by being surrounded by children and some of the most amazing educators. Uh, and of course, my own two children and my new granddaughter that um, are the real joys of my life. That's who I am. That's great. Well, I mean, as you can tell, I'm sitting here telling you about August 11th, 2010 of when we met. So the the people who are blessed to have come across your path, you're changing their lives. So like while they, it's really refreshing to hear 
how much of an impact everybody's had on you. I just want to make sure you also know the type of impact you can have on people with just one tiny conversation. Um, a question I didn't think I was going to be asking is, you know, you were talking about driving to the schoolhouse. I remember as a first or second year teacher, there were times where, you know, I was always excited to be in front of my kids, but there were some days to your point that it was just so tough that I actually drove past my school driving down to the furthest bus stop where I would know I would see my students and I would make sure that I had to turn around before then so that I didn't have to hear from them. Um, and I'd have to put on a song and a couple of songs that I would go to to like get me get my headspace right. Those days where you didn't feel like you had it, wh what are the tricks um, that you had to apply to your own self to make sure that you came with the right frame of mind uh, that ultimately got you to the end of the day was like, that was the best decision I could have made. I love this job. You know, I think we all find our, our ways to pump ourselves up, if you will. Um, there were moments um, practically every day that I would put on some of my favorite music before I pulled into the schoolhouse yard um, that would just get me happy and, and uh, pumped up for the day ahead. But someone taught me that you keep a treasure chest of notes, cards, um, little um, mementos, if you will, from children and parents. And when you had a tough day, get that box out and open it up and read one of the letters. And, you know, I, um, as I was packing up my office, I had four um, big boxes, if you will, decorative kind of boxes that were filled with notes um, from children for almost 40 years. And so I'm going to look forward to reading all of those again, but I would always reach in one of those boxes and pull something out that validated my efforts um, and, you know, sort of like little love notes from children and teachers. But, you know, I've really known, have known my why in life. And I think when you know your why, no matter how tough the day may be, it will recenter you when you think about yeah. what is your why and why are you doing what you're doing? And that's always brought me back to the real joy of this work is knowing that I'm doing what I feel very honestly I was called to do on this earth. So I've, I'm blessed in that regard as well. Have you always known like your why, as you call it, or have you always, um, you know, as you talking about, you know, retiring after 43 years as a, as a educator, have you always known what you were called to do? And if not, when did you, when, and, when, and how did you figure that out? No, I didn't. Um, I went to school to be a nurse actually. And when I got into the clinical part of being in a hospital, um, I realized that that was not what I wanted to do. Uh, my father had died when I was 10 years old. And for some reason, I felt that I wanted to be the kind of nurse to other people that I had witnessed nurses being to my father during his illness. But that was not, um, you know, it only took me a little while to realize that was not really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And if I may just say, you know, I, I know exactly where I was at UNC Chapel Hill, where I sat on this rock wall, 
And for those of you who know the Carolina campus well, you'll know who, what I'm talking about. And I remember just asking the universe, if you will, to give me a sign to tell me how I can make a distinct contribution in the world. And I remember sitting on that stone wall for I don't know how long, just having this conversation in my head. How can I best serve? How can I make a difference? Um, all those little, little sayings we say to ourselves when we're faced with a tough decision. I got up from that wall, um, stone wall, and walked to Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. And as I was walking to Franklin Street, I passed uh, a playground where children were playing. And there was such joy and such innocence in those encounters um, that day. And the children were like four, five, six years old. The teachers seemed happy. The children just seemed like just pure love and joy. And I took that as perhaps my sign was to serve uh, in a different kind of way and to serve helping to educate the hearts and minds of young children rather than to serve in the capacity I had originally thought that I would and that would be as a healthcare worker. So I've never looked back. I, I, that day, um, it's hard to describe. It um, really moves me to tears um, thinking back on that day and this um, feeling I had that's indescribable. But, but I knew in that moment that that was what I was supposed to do. Can you imagine uh, going back to that thinking, I, I think I, I read somewhere uh, your local mayor named uh, June 10th, 2021, Muriel Summers Day. Can you imagine, like, I know there's no, that's what's so cool is that there's no part of you that's ever done this for anything for yourself. And so the fact that this many years later, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but it's like, there's a Muriel Summers Day. It's not because people just like you. It's because you've made tremendous impact on the community you've been blessed to serve well i was quite honored and a little tickled by it all um so <laughs> I, I don't really know what that means but yeah. <laughs> I feel like i need to throw a party on that day i don't know oh you all come down and we'll have a big party like we do in the south yeah. uh, but i i'm very humbled and very honored but um it, it should be an A.B. Combs Day, and, and there is an A.B. Combs Day, by the way, but um, having the spotlight on me is, is, is not fair because what we achieved collectively as a school community, our teachers and, and community at large, um, it should be that kind of day where, because it was not one person doesn't make anything happen. It's the collective efforts and passions and um, hearts of many that have were able to do what we've been able to accomplish at AB Comms. Yeah, I, I've Thank seen um, that type of you know celebration. I mean, so award you've got a couple of times of just principal of the year. Uh, I, I when when you as the leader get 
uh, a lot of recognition, it can cause friction within the school building or the district. What are some of the keys, and I can hear a little bit of it, but what are some of the keys uh, and advice you have for leaders as their school is getting successful, they're, they're, they're getting rewarded for it, where um, they make sure it doesn't cause problems and friction in the culture that they've built? Well, you know, I hope that what I have been able to do over the years, and the staff knows this about me, um, I don't ever accept um, any kind of accolade without giving the credit to those who deserve it the most. And um, I'm somewhat embarrassed by it, to tell you the truth, and extremely uncomfortable. Um, I've, I have loved A.B. Combs being in the spotlight. Uh, I have worked hard to help lead the and champion the work that we do. But again, it's, it's all of us. Uh, it's our children. It's our parents. It's the bus drivers. It's um, our child nutrition workers. It's all of us. Um, I have perhaps been the face of the work, um, but it's been all of us collectively. Um, and so what I say to that is that never, ever forget, um, as my father would say, who brought you to the table and always keep them there with you too. And so the staff, I, I feel, knows that I share this, any awards and accolades with them. Um, and with the children and That's never awesome. ever forget that. Um, I'm positive anybody who's followed your career or listens to you talk or you pay attention to your writing, that is always um, incredibly clear about your heart for how you got there. It was never you, it's always everybody else. I, one question that I, I thought of uh, this morning, I'm like, God, you know, most people who have had the success your school has had would have moved on to another school, moved on to a district office, moved on to another opportunity. That, that seems to be the culture of today. What is it that kept you at A.B. Combs in the midst of what I have to assume were numerous opportunities that were probably enticing in terms of just the, the intellectual opportunity to go do it? What kept you at A.B. Combs? Well, you know, Dustin, I had an incredible opportunity before Dr. Covey's passing. You know, this work had just started to gain momentum and and you know yes I was being um, offered other things that made more money um, you know um, had more opportunity that I you know, at that time I thought had more opportunity and I remember asking him you know Dr. Covey when you have to make a difficult decision what are the questions you ask yourself that would, would guide you to the, to the answer you're seeking? And how blessed was I to have been guided, if you will, by his response. And his response has been what has guided me over the past 15 years. And he said, always ask yourself, where are you the happiest? Where do you feel you can make the most distinct contribution? And how can you best serve? And so those questions guided me. Where am I the happiest? Always surrounded by children. 
where do I feel I have the greatest circle of influence or can make the most distinct contribution? You know, I knew that that was working within side of a schoolhouse, um, surrounded by passionate, like-minded um, individuals who wanted to make a difference. And what kind of service? Well, my goodness, the service um, of being with children every day and helping to guide them, you know, there, there was my answer. And, you know, I think when you can base your answers, base your decisions based on your value system and the response to those three questions, it's really a no-brainer. You know, I have no regrets for what I've turned down. Um, no regrets whatsoever. And to have ended my career the way I did was exactly the way I wanted to. Um, I wanted to end it like I began it. Um, and I have been very blessed to have worked for a school district that allowed me to stay in the same school for as long as I did. And Dustin, that doesn't happen everywhere. No. But what I realized is um, worked very hard to have a succession plan. And I, if I gave any advice during this podcast to educators <clears throat> is to have a succession plan. Because when someone leaves an organization, you should never feel um, their absence if you've done a good job. Because um, things will just continue and keep going to the next level with the new administrator in charge. But that doesn't happen without careful and thoughtful planning. Um, my successor will be named hopefully in a couple of weeks. Um, it's still not sure who that will be. But um, it didn't go without effort on my part to begin planning for my exit um, and nurturing and grooming um, others to be able to be in a position to just keep, keep the beat going, if you will. Okay. I'll know what kind of job I did as school administrator if Combs continues to flourish uh, and thrive. What, what are the, when you, when you talk about a succession plan, I mean, a lot of folks be like, I, I have a list of names of people that could be good, but what are, what are the key components if I'm sitting there thinking that through? Again, what I hear from you is a succession plan is not, don't put it together just when you're thinking there could be a transition, have it ready to go and be thinking about it always while you're leaving, even if you never go. Is that what I hear? Well, that's correct. I mean, I think our role as leaders, especially in leader and me, uh, in a leader and me environment, is to empower other people to be decision makers, to take risk, um, to find out what their hopes and dreams are. So, you know, I've been blessed that there have been people at Combs that wanted to be school administrators. So I brought them to the table whenever I could to experience as much as um, I felt that they needed to experience to be ready for a role in school administration if they chose um, to do that. But succession planning is, I think, extremely important, but it should be um, really the cornerstone of what we do in Leader in These Schools, developing everyone to um, be leaders in what they're passionate about. And then they go from there, I mean, my goodness, the pandemic was probably one of our finest hours as, um, as a school because we had to collectively say, tell me what you feel most comfortable doing. Tell me what you feel most comfortable 
doing and we had to get out of people's way to help keep things running. I mean, what that staff did at Combs and his staffs, I'm sure all over this country and world did um, during this pandemic was nothing less than heroic uh, to keep things going. Um, but we had to utilize the talents and gifts of everyone. And I loved that. I said, this should be something that we don't have to have an emergency for to make happen every single day. So I, th I think in many regards, um, I was planning for my exit um, long before the pandemic happened, but the pandemic, I think, helped everyone realize we're going to be okay because we know how to lead and we know how to serve. And we did that for almost you know, 13 months. So I'm very proud of well, what done. So, I mean, uh, there are people who listen to this who maybe not be as familiar with Leader in Me schools or Leader in Me itself. But when you think about your school, especially facing challenges like that, and you say, oh, Leader in Me school should have a succession plan. A Leader in Me school should be able to adapt and adjust um, to those challenges that a pandemic can bring. What, what's the foundation um, that helped you guys really navigate the tough times? Well, it was a our operating system, if you will, that is based on um, the seven habits of highly effective people. And, you know, the gift there uh, are these seven habits. And Dr. Covey would always say that the habits are at their best when they're presented with a problem that they need to solve. And so we looked at proactivity in a whole different light, <laughs> as well as beginning with the end in mind. Um, this isn't going to last long. You know, um, our school counselor used this graphic with our children and said, when you look at your whole span of life, this is only a tiny fraction of your whole entire life. So let's take a look at, at what's happened and learn from it and grow from it and look at, you know, um, the gifts that will come out of this. Um, and so when, you know, when she said that, I thought she's so right. Um, and shame on us if we don't, um, if we go back to the way things were, rather than moving forward with a sense of what we've learned from during the pandemic. But we learned a lot and the habits were our foundation for everything that we did, every you know, decision we needed to make. We used the language which grounded all of us so we had this common language of abundancy of, um, you know, here's our private victory. Here's our public victory. Um, you know, put first things first. And so honestly, Dustin, I don't know that we would have been able to say when we started to see the light at the end of the tunnel that we would have felt we were as successful as we were had we not had that as our as our core, if you will, as the fabric of our school. You know, it's woven into everything that we do, but it was enhanced because of this challenge um, in ways that I think only those of us who lead in schools with this as our operating system can truly understand collectively. It really was our finest hour. When, when you think about uh, the habits versus, you know, I've worked with a number of schools that have, you know, the character trait of the month or some sort of character education for what, what's the, 
what's the difference from your perspective of, or what's the power or uniqueness of the habits versus anything else when you think about the operating system? Yeah, I have such respect for all of uh, the programs, if you will, that are out there that support the character development of young children. But I speak as someone with 43 years of experience that nothing we do should be like a flavor of the month, if you will. We're gonna stop this month and we're gonna focus on responsibility or we're going in the next month, we're gonna focus on this and the next month that. You know, this ubiquitous approach of teaching character through the lens of everything that goes on in a schoolhouse is one of the reasons I stayed at Combs for as long as I did. You know, I remember um, saying to someone once who, had offered me a position and I said, show me something better than what I have and we might talk. But what we had um, at Combs was this ubiquitous approach that we taught leadership through the lens of everything that we did, um, through the curriculum, through uh, performances, through the daily interactions. And that's why it sticks. That's why it works, but it takes intentionality uh, being very intentional and deliberate about the work and to put it on the front burner of everything that needs to be taught, um, not on the back burner, not a lesson a day for four days a week, but this ubiquitous approach of every day, every minute, uh, where children are being exposed to the work. It makes a, di it makes a huge difference huge difference. So it seems to me like when I you keep talking about, you know, because you just retired, you know, your 43 years of in education, it seems to me that your uh, meeting Dr. Covey was one of the most pivotal, not the, but one of the most pivotal moments in your education career. Is that correct? I would absolutely say yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of us, you know, reading the books or listening to other podcasts, uh, interviews that you've done can kind of dive into that awesome story of you meeting him and how it led to Leader in Me. I'm actually curious of uh, if there are other circumstances or people in your life that you've met that built you into today. Like it's just those kind of serendipitous moments that like, man, as I reflect back, who knew that that would be a force of change in my in my life. Yeah, I think we're all destined to meet the people we meet along life's journey. I, you know, at the age I am, I certainly didn't realize this in my 40s. Um, started to realize it a little bit in my 50s, but certainly during my 60s, everything that happened to me in life, single mom, two children, five and seven years old, being assigned the principal of A.B. Combs when it needed major transformation, all of those things happening at the same time. Um, and I look back and think, how in the world, how in the world? But it was by design, no doubt, no doubt. Um, everyone I have met in life, the experiences uh, that I have had have shaped me into the person that I am today. 
So when you took over AB Combs, you were a single mom of two, what, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, you said? Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> what were some of the keys personally, not professionally, but personally kind of fighting through that? Because it's a, being a principal or even being a teacher is all encompassing. And so it's with you all the time. So it's tough to stop and be like, okay, time to be a parent now. What were some of the things that you brought into your life at that time so you can manage and thrive in both aspects of your life? You know, my children um, are so incredible. They were incredible at five and seven years old and they're incredible now. Um, you know, they went to school with me um, and I was very blessed that I worked for an area superintendent and I said, you know, Dr. Mobley, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. And, you know, I was embarrassed that, you know, here I am in this position and I'm faced with, you know, this Dear John letter on my kitchen table. I, you know, going to be leaving and, you know, what in the world am I going to do? What am I going to do? How, you know, and that's when I met Dr. Covey. And, you know, it just seems like that with every challenge, looking at it as an opportunity, was what helped me survive all of that. Mm. This is an opportunity. You don't know it yet. You haven't seen it yet. But you know, when a parent sat across the table from me and said, you know, I'm going through this. Um, my wife has just left me. I could have empathy in ways that had I not had that experience, I wouldn't have been able to. Um, you know, my children understood what I was trying to do. Um, and I was very, even as young as they were, I was very honest with them about what life had thrown us, but we were going to catch it and we were going to run with it and we were going to be okay, but I was going to need their help. And so they went to school with me on Saturdays and Sundays and I let them bring their bicycles and they rode their bicycles in the hallway. I That's probably, actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> they learned how to use the intercom system. It was things that I had to do as a mom to sort of balance it. Um, but you know, we, we survived and, um, we were okay. And so I think when you look back on the highs and lows of life, we're all going to have them. Um, you know, the highs, there's a high and then there's a low and then there's a high and then there's a low. And I think that's the rhythm of our lives. But if you can look at each of those lows as opportunities to grow and challenges to embrace, you just ride that wave out because it will eventually ride itself out and you'll come out on the other side. Uh, wiser, certainly for me. I've made so many mistakes, Dustin, but I'm wiser. <laughs> I find that hard to believe, but I'm going to ask you about them. <laughs> I've made a lot, trust me, but I've learned from them. And um, I think that was one of the things I wanted our students to know, as was said to me. It matters not where you come from or how much money's in your pocket. What matters is the size of your hopes and your dreams, because within you, you have the ability to make anything that you dream become true. And that was in so many ways, my daily mantra to the students and to the teachers, um, to seize the moment, to ride that wave out, 
and to know that you are uh, so much more than what you think you're capable of doing. And, you know, Dr. Covey always said the best is ahead of us. I'm counting on that to be true, that my best is, is ahead of me. Well, as someone who I think I'm going to personally uh, and professionally benefit of getting more of you, I, I can tell you there's there's a lot of impact, life life and world impact that you're going to get a chance to have now that you've got a little bit more time to, to share your love and your message with folks. So I can say yes. I don't know if you'll see it or feel it yet because it's still raw, but I can see it. Um, I, you know, before we, before we wrap up here, um, I am curious, uh, that's a, to, to go through that personal challenge right before you're about to become a principal is just devastating in many ways. And so it's, I think it's a story that a lot of people don't know. Um, when you think back to your career, are there, are there, is there a, a failure or a mistake or a challenge that you can think back? You're like now with perspective, now that we're out where you're like, man, that, at the time I thought life was over and it turned out to be this great blessing over time, right? Like I'd be curious to know what those were if you had them in your career. Oh, I made tons of mistakes, <laughs> you know, every single day. And certainly one of the greatest professional blessings I was ever given was being appointed the principal at Combs. Um, Yes, I messed up as a principal. Oh my goodness. And that's why the term pre-forgiving, pre-forgive someone <laughs> has such meaning for us at Combs because, um, you know, I messed up. I messed up on a lot of things. Um, handling parents um, differently, um, handling children differently, you know, uh, now I wish that I had asked more questions, that I had sort of peeled back the layer of the onion, if you will, because we all have our own personal stories. And sometimes you don't know what those are and you judge way too quickly. Um, and you assume things that are so inaccurate. And so I learned at a very late stage in my career the importance of listening, being better listeners, trying to get to the root of what's going on with someone. Um, you know, we respond out of two emotions, fear and love. And so if we can just remember that, um, that that's a guiding principle, if you will, for me. Oh, but yes, did I make mistakes? Tons of them. Um, but also knowing my why brought me right back to why I was doing, you know, what I was doing. I, I have been so fortunate to have worked for people that forgave me for my mistakes. Um, and I learned to say, you're sorry. I learned very quickly the power of not trying to cover anything up, not trying to blame someone else, but to take ownership um, and say that you're sorry, you regret what happened. You'll try not to make this, that same mistake again. Um, and that's why I think I, I remained as a principal as long as I did, because I did mess up every day, but I learned how to say I'm sorry and I'll try not to do that again. And that would be my advice, to always be honest, 
to be as transparent as you can possibly be and to humble yourself to ask for forgiveness. Uh, and it works. Yeah, one of my notes that I've kept here, uh, I'm going to go through them real quickly, uh, from 11 years ago. So I had pre-forgiveness on there. I had uh, fall in love with teaching because I was overseeing uh, some teachers then. I wanted to make sure that they really understood that that's got to be something they were passionate with. Uh, I love that we talked about uh, children will meet the expectations that are set for them. Um, I, I know these are ones that are really true to your heart. Cause I like wrote down, like when I could just feel your like soul reach out, I'm like, God, I got to make sure I pay attention to that. Um, you know, one of the things that my wife, uh, is now the chief of staff for her school district, but she was the director of talent. Uh, I gave her this quote again from 11 years ago, just a reminder of like, you said, you can teach anyone pedagogy of teaching, but you can't teach them the love or the passion of which to do. And so, uh, that's something that. Uh, I really took to heart. And the last thing uh, I don't want to, there is a Miss Rose story that I'm sure you've chose, said a thousand times, but selfishly for me, and maybe the few folks who have not heard it, like I would love to just have a small version of why did I write down Miss Rose's name? And it was something, you know, why, why was she, she was in my notes three or four times that day. Oh, I could hardly say her name without crying. And I've told the story so many times, but I think it speaks to the power of an educator that truly loves children. You know, I grew up in rural North Carolina, um, the granddaughter of a cotton farmer, where most of the children in our community were sons and daughters of farmers or mill workers. And so our futures um, outside of just staying in that community just really weren't there for us unless we had parents who's, who showed us something differently. And fortunately for me, I had a mother who did that. But Miss Rose also did that for us on a daily basis through the lessons that she taught us and the places she said we could go one day. And you know, um, she made everything come alive for us, but she also believed in us. You know, I have story after story, but the one that's the most compelling is, is the one when our class all came together to honor her. And, um, and this was at her, at her passing, but, you know, we realized in that moment that Miss Rose told everyone that we were her favorite students. She said, oh, Muriel, you're my favorite student. And then she would say to Johnny, Johnny, you're my favorite student. She would say to Vicki, you're my favorite student. And none of us knew that she told the other that, <laughs> but she made us all feel that we were. You know, I realized then the incredible opportunity educators have to do one of two things. You can either leave your heart plant on a child that will last a lifetime, or you can leave a scar, an open wound, if you will, that will never heal. And I had teachers that fell into those two camps. One, Miss Rose, who made us all feel that anything was possible. And the daily messages of you were special, you were loved, 
you were destined to do great things with your life. Still remain on the hearts of all those students she taught. And then others who said, I can't see you amounting to too much. Or why can't you get this? Or what's wrong with you? Why don't you, why can't you learn this? Um, and a counselor that I had who did not feel that I would be college bound uh, at that point in time in my life. And when I told her that I had gotten in to UNC Chapel Hill, her response to me was you, there must be some mistake. And all these years later, those words still bring tears to my eyes. And you know, you it's an open wound that has never ever healed. But how grateful am I to the teacher that made that comment to me? Because I was out to prove her wrong for the and still am out to prove her wrong. But I also said if I was ever in a position of leadership in a school, I would make sure that I would never have anyone on a staff in which I served that would ever, ever say anything to a child that would leave, to, and I knew about it, <laughs> that would leave a scar like that. And I can say I have surrounded myself with the most amazing teachers who were far better teachers than I ever was but they leave daily heart prints. And all you gotta do is call up our students and they'll tell you about those amazing teachers. Um, so I was shaped very much by Miss Rose, having Miss Rose as my teacher. But I was also shaped very much by having a counselor that didn't believe in me. And so with that, um, I think there are many lessons to be learned and the one thing I'll end on as we close out our conversation is just to say that there's no other occupation, which is why I stayed in what I stayed in for as long as I did. You know, I hope that long after I'm gone, there will be a child that will say, Muriel Thomas Summers made a difference in my life. Because when that can happen, long after your passing, you're living on through the lives of the people that you've touched. And that's the great gift of being a teacher, that you will live on in the lives of the children you've taught if you've done a good job. And that should be all of our goals, to have people say that one day about us. Well, Muriel, I can say one thing for sure. Um, I the notes that I took from that August day, August 11th, again, 2010, um, I came back and shared them with my wife and she could just see the joy in my face and see how inspired I was to have, to see you with that common vision of what I felt to be true, but also you to give clarity and direction to it. Um, it's what brought me to Franklin Covey and allows me to stay here 10 years later. And so when you talk about your why every day I wake up and it's a why that, Yes, we know Dr. Covey was a part of, but had you not had the 
vision and courage that you have, I wouldn't be here. And I can at least just thank you for me and the people I've been able to touch, which hopefully are thousands uh, through it. Um, it's because of you. So um, just know that that's never, you talk about people who brought you to the table, uh, that is never lost on me, not one day. And so I just thank you for who you are, how you love, how you lead. And selfishly, while I know it's tough to make this transition, as I keep saying, I just, I am so glad I get more of a front row seat to see more of the life-changing work that you're going to be doing here in the future. Well, Dustin, thank you. And um, you have impacted my life in so many wonderful ways. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for um, this opportunity to spend time with you today. Uh, your podcasts are wonderful. I wish you <laughs> so much luck um, and best wishes in this chapter in your life as well. Yeah, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll definitely have you back on again in the near future. So uh, Muriel, thank you so much. It was a blessing and we'll talk soon. All right. Love you, Dustin. Thank right, you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.